What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. A couple days away from the season. Make sure to hit the like button, subscribe to all the good stuff. Turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops or video drops. Share this out as well. And for, I believe this is the fourth year in a row, we get to talk to the mighty great Paul Dettino of the New York Giants beat. He does work with WFAN, the New York Giants YouTube channel, and the kickoff show with John Schmelk and Lance Meadow. But, Paul, another season for the New York Giants, coming off of a winning season, no less, uh, an improved team at that. What are your thoughts and feelings coming in? Well, there's no doubt that this team did everything they could to shore up their starting 22 they also enhanced the depth uh, of this squad in many positions. Um, to be frank, I've gone on record now, and I always do this after the 53. I think it's a 10-win team and maybe an 11-win team. But I'm thinking solid 10 wins, which should be a playoff spot. Now, will they get to the second round of the playoffs? Who knows? It depends on the playoff matchup that you get in the first round. That's going to be a big deal. I can't tell you that they'll go to the second round or even the third round of the playoffs. That much I won't say. But I look at their very difficult schedule, and I say it's a tougher schedule than last year. But I say there's a lot more talent on this team than there was last year. And I'm a very big believer in this coaching staff. They proved to me last year that the Giants will not go into any game with a deficit on the sidelines. I believe that their coaching staff as a whole is as good as anybody's in the league. And, and that in itself can make a difference with a win or two during the course of a season. So I'm, I'm very much behind them being a 10-win team. Yeah, coaching made an impact definitely a year ago with the situation Joe Shane came in with and he had to make do with some guys and a couple of veterans. But let's get into it. And I'm going to start off by talking about someone who's not currently on the active roster. But this guy made a lot of noise in the preseason games. Now, at training camp, I was there a few days. He looked a little confused, but he actually showed out really well in the preseason games when he was surrounded by mediocre receivers. That's, you know, third team. And he was also surrounded by a bad offensive line, a couple of guys competing for a spot. I'm talking, of course, about Tommy DeVito. With the preseason he had, do you think, and I know this is obviously a year in advance when we could talk about the team right now, but do you think he could possibly, or at least did maybe cement himself for competition QB2 next year with the way he played coming out of Syracuse and Illinois as an undrafted free agent, the way he uh, jumped over the expectations that a lot of us and maybe even the coaching staff had? That is way too premature to even discuss, to be frank with you. It's, it's just way too premature. What Tommy DeVito did with his strong performance in the three preseason games solidified the fact that he was going to be the practice squad quarterback. One step at a time for him. That was the first step. Should he continue to improve as the practice squad quarterback over the course of the season? Then the next step is to retain him going into 2024. And then if things work out well, and he goes to training camp, then he has an opportunity to maybe compete for the number two job. But you, you're, you're a couple of steps way ahead of yourself on this one. Yeah. So going a little bit more into this year's team, 
Uh, let's talk about Eric Gray. What role do you think he will have for the New York Giants this upcoming season? Because his athleticism and speed wasn't something that, you know, was prized in college. Uh, a lot of people thought he didn't look, you know, the speediest in the preseason, but he did get better as the preseason games went on, as camp went on. He's going to have a possible role on special teams, and he was also probably going to see some time out of the backfield as when Breida gets rest and Barkley gets rest. But what do you think the role is for him? And really one of the reasons that the Giants drafted him, because it's obviously not going to be some sort of successor to Saquon, even if those talks do go south. Well, for me, I see Gray right now as the primary kickoff returner and the primary punt returner. That, That seems to be what they've settled on during the course of the preseason. He's also very dangerous out of the backfield. He has very good hands, he runs very good routes, and he has extremely quick feet. See, what he doesn't have, and this is where I would debate you some, he doesn't have long speed. You see, he's a lot like Ahmad Bradshaw in that he's got quick feet to the hole, he can make a quick cut, and he can hit the hole and explode through it. In that way, he's like Bradshaw. He also has very thick thighs, and even for not being the biggest guy, he can power through. Where he and Bradshaw are different is that Bradshaw could take the ball 60 yards for a touchdown because he had long speed. Gray does not have long speed. He will get caught from behind on a 35- to 40-yard run and not take it to the house. That's the element that he's missing. He, he cannot take it to the house from your side of the 50. But but inside, oh, my goodness. This, this, this guy is a very quality back. He was on my radar for the Giants in the fourth round. And when they got him in the fifth, I was like, wow, that was really great. They got him a, a round later than, than I certainly thought they could have taken him. So uh, very smart player, very professional in his work ethic. Uh, I think for the time being – He's a kick returner, and he's a potential third down back to maybe spell Barkley on occasion, depending upon the game flow. Yeah, definitely. And then talking about the other weapons on offense, Darren Waller, Saquon Barkley, those guys are the talk of the town. And also, we know Jalen Hyatt can take the top off of a defense. But I saw this a lot in training camp, saw it a little bit in the preseason game against the Panthers. But is it, and I know they're going to spread the ball a lot, but is it really crazy to say that Paris Campbell could be the leading wide receiver this year? Depends on what you're talking about when you say leading. Do you mean the guy with the most receptions or do you think the guy with the most yardage? I'm, You know, that's, to me, the guy on this roster who will have the most receiving yards at the end of the year will be Darren Waller. He will get over a thousand yards and join Mark Bavaro as the only tight end in franchise history to put up a thousand receiving yards in a season. I feel very confident in saying that. Which of the wide receivers will catch the most passes? I think it'll be Paris Campbell. I agree if that's the definition of what you're looking for. Which wide receiver will have the most receiving yards from that room? Ooh, that's a tough one now. Campbell's going to get the most catches, but Slayton or Hyatt 
could wind up with the most receiving yards amongst the actual wide receivers on the roster. Absolutely. And we also Hodgins coming off of a very hot last year and a little bit of a, you know, knifing playoff performance against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, moving up front to the protection a little bit. There's an on, there was an ongoing rotation this summer and that would be the offensive guard position, Bredesen, Zudu, and Mark Lewinsky. A lot of Giant fans are for it, against it. There's always going to be a couple in a couple of directions. But do you think the rotation of guards, and I know that this is kind of a New England thing because we saw it with Joe Judge. Brian Dable is technically a part of that New England tree <laughs> as he was the tight ends coach. Do you think it's that, or do you think it's more catered to the development of Josh Azudu? You have a winner right there. It's, a, it's about Joshua Azudu not necessarily seizing the job yet from Bredesen because Ben Bredesen had the best training camp of his professional career, and he fought off the challenge of Joshua Azudu, who the Giants are still very high on. He's very big. He's very athletic. He's very strong. Clearly, he's much more accomplished in the run game than he is in pass protection. But Bredesen, with his wily craftiness and his experience, and the fact that, again, he had such a good camp, he held off the challenge. And I think part of the reason that he's going to start week one, at least I strongly believe so, is because they're facing a very difficult front that Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys, is going to put on the field. I think they value Bredesen's experience and intelligence as he is next to a rookie center and John Michael Schmitz. And I think there's probably a little bit of a concern as to how the Cowboys might be able to confuse a Schmitz and a, a, um, a, a Zudu if those two young fellas are in the middle of the Giants' line opening day. Now, that's not to say Azudu can't wrestle that job away at some point during the season, because it's certainly possible. But if Bredesen plays as well during the regular season as what he has exhibited during training camp, there's a chance he actually holds the job for the season, and then the competition will start itself back in the spring of 2024. Yeah, and another point to add on that as well is, and again, this is looking a little bit more towards 24, is, you know, we'll see obviously down the line. I think Azuda will definitely get some solid snaps uh, later in the season and even some in the beginning. Like, I feel like against Arizona, he's probably going to have some playing time, probably more than Dallas because of the fronts and stuff like that. But Glowinski's contract, if I'm not mistaken, is an on for another year. And I think, at least according to cap numbers, the Giants can get out if they want to. But of course... That would only be if Azudu is up to expectations and where they want him to be in the development. So uh, just throwing stuff around, but I think that's another scenario, of course, to uh, consider. But Well, I, I think what you, what you have to remember, uh, as far as the Giants are concerned right now, they've tried to build some continuity on the line. And so I think I would prefer them to go with the five guys – and not use any rotation. And then if at some point, at some point during the season, they feel they want to make a flop, I think they'd be better off doing it that way as opposed to what they did last year 
when Azudu did see time against lesser fronts and did see some snaps and more time when they were simply trying to run the ball and be more ground-oriented, if you will. That's certainly a way to go. They did it last year, and it helped get them into the playoffs. Could they do it again? They could. I personally would not favor that, but it's certainly an option, and it's a viable one. They proved that it that it was it was uh, it was workable, if you will. Right, definitely, I agree one hundred percent on the rotation aspect. And moving on to a little bit, I guess it could be more or less of a concern depending on how certain people feel. But one of the concerns coming out of training camp and really going into the cutdown day was what it, what was the backup line room going to look like. Um, Matt Parrott didn't have the – he looked good in camp. He was beating out Tyree Phillips, but in the preseason games, he seemed to struggle. It seemed like those bad plays really eclipsed the good ones that he had. And, you know, he obviously didn't really stand out from anyone. I mean, the tackle competition really wasn't the greatest. Wyatt Davis, Corey Cunningham, they brought in Julian Davenport late. Um, I know, obviously, it's it's kind of like a backup quarterback situation where it's, oh, if your starter goes out, you're automatically screwed anyway. But if the Giants – do you think that the Giants are going to make more moves in the backable line area, or do you think they're not going to do that? And if they don't do that, is there going to be concern if Neil or Andrew Thomas get hurt? Let's answer this backwards. First of all, how many quality offensive linemen do you think are going to be made available during the upcoming season? Not many that could count. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. To be To be frank with you, you're not going to get an upgrade from Matt Pert to be available either on the street, on the waiver wire, or available in a trade. Because anybody who's any good at offensive tackle is going to be held on to. That's the way it is in this league. Look, there are some teams that only have one good one. Honestly. I mean, you have to start two every Sunday. And there are some coaches right now who would tell you they're comfortable with one of their two. So... First of all, the availability is not going to be there. So let, let, let everybody calm down. You can't go shopping for one. Matthew, Matthew Pert is going to be the high end of the third offensive tackles of uh, you know to, to be on rosters over the course of this season. That's just the way it is. And I, what I find laughable is that there were people who complained when he had the best camp of his career, his run blocking was actually really good during the preseason games. It was his pass blocking against the Jets in particular that gave him a lot of trouble. He wasn't so bad in the other two games, but against the Jets, he had a real rough time. And everybody seemed to focus on that. And they didn't understand that his body of work for the last month or so proved that he was worthy of the third tackle spot. I find it funny because so many people, fans in particular, seem to believe that your third tackle needs to be a Pro Bowl player. I mean, the way people talk, A, you think that they could get it off the shelf at Kmart, but you can't. And B, your third tackle is a backup for a reason, because he's not a starting caliber Pro Bowl level tackle. You have to understand, you know, it's it's like... I, it, it boggles my mind at how much uh, acid has been thrown out at Matthew Pert. It, it's it's it makes no sense. 
Moving on to the defensive side of the ball, one of the few surpri- one of the few surprises to me at least is that the New York Giants they restructured Daniel Jones' contract this week to have more flexibility for the season. Um, and then Leonard Williams hasn't really been restructured. Same thing with the Dory Jackson, and I believe those two contracts are in similar positions, not in terms of salary wise, but in terms of they're almost done with the New York Giants. And you know there is some competition you know coming in of course Deontay Banks if he looks good enough Trey Hawkins if he looks good enough and then some of the other defensive linemen the Giants have brought in but is there anything and I know again this may be a futuristic question but what does Leonard Williams and Adoree Jackson more so Leonard Williams in my opinion because I know the stats don't tell the story but you have to look at the film what do those two players have to do to maybe cement themselves in another year of Giants blue they're going to have to be economically friendly. To be honest with you, the Giants are very happy with both players. They enjoy having both players on the team. They're professionals. They work hard. They're terrific teammates. They're leaders in their own way. If the Giants get the same kind of year they got out of Leonard Williams and Adore Jackson this year as they did last year, they will want both players to stay. The question's then going to be simple. What are the numbers that those guys are looking for? And if those guys feel like they need certain numbers and they're going to have to get them from someplace else, then they'll wind up going someplace else. I mean, this isn't about satisfaction in the player's performance. This is more about the business side of the game, which is where the whole salary cap thing comes in. There's no doubt that the Giants would like both players to stay around for, for a while. But if their numbers are, are, are too high and other teams can afford them and the Giants can't squeeze them under the cap, then they won't be here next year. It's, it's really it's, it's a matter of economics. This isn't about the quality of the player. This coaching staff, this GM, this personnel department, they lug both players very, very much. Definitely. So the New York Giants made a few trades during this two, three-week period. One of them was for Boogie Basham. From what I've read, seen, people have takes, of course, is that he is more of an interior-slash-edge-setting run defender. Do you think he's going to end up playing the Jihad Ward-esque role and maybe potentially be his successor, being that Jihad Ward is on a one-year contract? He is much more of a Jihad Ward or Hadi Ward type of player than he is, you know, a Kayvon Thibodeau type. Now, remember, Basham played with his hand in the dirt when he was in Buffalo. The Giants, Wake Martindale in particular, the defensive coordinator, is converting him into a stand-up player. So this is an adjustment that he's got to make. And he's going to have to prove that he can be effective with his power and with his with his hot motor, because his motor is 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 really hot. He will he will run all the way to the whistle, which is one of the things that people liked about him when he came out of Wake Forest. He will not give up on a play. And he will crash down very well into the line to shut down the interior running game. Uh, so it remains to be seen how he will make the adjustment to being a stand-up player. Now, he will be a matchup player. Okay, as I see it, much like Ward has been a matchup player for this team. He's not an every down player. He's a matchup player. 
And when the Giants see teams that are going to be big and strong and want to run the ball and pound it, or even if it's certain situations where passing teams decide in the fourth quarter, they're going to try to milk something. You'll see guys like Ward and Basham are going to get on the field more, and they're going to be trying to fight muscle with muscle. Uh, he's, he's a matchup player to me. And anything beyond that is strictly speculation, depending upon how he adapts to the kind of stuff that Wink is going to give him. See, I agree with you. When he came out of Wake Forest, he was, to me, a left defensive end, not a pure edge rusher or pass rusher, but a left defensive end who could hold the point of attack. He's never going to put up big stats. He's the type of player who is a winning player who will help make things easier for the stat mongers to go and make the spectacular plays and to put up big numbers. You know, he's more of a workman-like workhorse. He's a soldier. He's not necessarily a highlight guru, if you will. And, and he's the kind of player you appreciate when you watch him on a week-in and week-out basis. The Bills need more spectacular players. They need more impact players, more sack guys, because Von Miller obviously has had injury trouble. That's why they signed Leonard Floyd. You know, they've got Rousseau. Another guy who's supposed to be, you know, a spectacular impact sack guy. You know, that that's the problem with the Bills is that he wasn't the brand of, of ketchup, if you will. He wasn't the brand of ketchup that they needed. They needed they needed something with more spice. It's not that Boogie Basham's a bad player, but he just didn't fit what they desperately need, and that's a more dynamic pass rusher. And Basham is not that right now. And, I'm again, I'm curious to see how he adapts to what Wick is going to ask him to do. Definitely. So we move a little bit further into that edge room, even though technically a couple of different types of players with uh, Jihad Ward and Boogie Basham compared to Kayvon and Aziz. But the Giants have four technical edge defenders. Um, obviously, Isaiah Simmons will be all over the place, but we'll talk about that in a separate question. Uh, they got Taman Fox. They got O'Shane Zimenez, both guys on the practice squad. So with Jihad Ward and um, Boogie Basham being mainly run defenders and good at the point of attack, and as you said, it's more of a matchup type thing with them. And then O'Shane Zimenez and Taman Fox uh, being on the practice squad. But, of course, you know, those are not really guys you want to have in the game as starters. That's why they're backups. How important is it going to be, especially for a guy like – let's say Kayvon Thibodeau to make another step. And I'm not going to expect him to get 10 sacks because it's a wink scheme, but how important is it going to be for him to step up and for a guy like Aziz to stay healthy? And I know I'm piling on a lot here, but also with a rookie secondary outside of a Dory Jackson. Well, let me put it to you this way. Kayvon Thibodeau needs to be a consistent impact player. Now, Last year, he gets to the Giants, and he sprains his MCL right before the season, you know, in the preseason. And he had a knee brace on. First half of his rookie year, he was significantly hampered by the sprained knee. Okay? He made the big play with the forced fumble against Baltimore, and that was his big play that kind of started the trickling of the waters into letting us see what the real Kayvon Thibodeau is. Second half of the season, he was much better and started making some impact plays. But there was no consistency there. 
What they need out of him is a consistent five-month impact play type of highlight film for him to take that jump and to be the Superman or the Batman pass rusher that the Giants so desperately need. Aziz Ojolari just has to stay on the field, for God's sakes. We know that when he plays, his efficiency, his production per snap has been terrific. But he's had trouble staying on the field. Right now, he and Thibodeau are both healthy. I, I mean, <laughs> Wick Martindale can't believe it. He's actually got both of these guys now at his disposal after going through a whole season last year of hoping he would have those guys on the field together. So, yes, do both guys need to produce at their expected levels for this defense to take a big jump? Absolutely correct. There's no question about that. I think, I think the interesting part for me is that if you believe that Thibodeau and Ojolari are truly Batman and Robin as pass rushers, well, now what happens with Isaiah Simmons? I know you're going to lead to that question, so I'm going to answer it for you now. Isaiah Simmons is a pass rusher slash blitzer. He was misused for three years with the Cardinals. They honestly, because he was such a good jack-of-all-trades, they made him a master of none. He will be a blitzer. And with Wick Martindale's system, the kaleidoscope defense that I call it, because you never know what you're going to see on a play-to-play -play basis, he will scheme it up so that the Giants are always going to have an advantage in their pass rush. And when I say an advantage, I mean one of two things. Either there's going to wind up being a free lane or an angle for one of his pass rushers, whoever it is, to get through to the quarterback, or he's going to wind up causing a matchup problem where one of his edge rushers, and it even could be Isaiah Simmons, is going to be locked up against either a tight end or a running back. And that's a win for the Giants. That's why Simmons, as a blitzer, becomes potentially the third dangerous pass rusher on the Giants' front line. That, that is what really will take Wink's defense to a whole nother level. All the untapped potential there. Um, moving on to a little bit of the inside linebacker room. Uh, in many saw this as a surprise move, the Giants cutting Darian Beavers. When I took two minutes to really realize what the situation was about, I saw it as more of a Ryan Connolly type thing. Similar situation, late round pick, tore ACL, and now, unlike Connolly, he's on the practice squad. Do you think that though he's on the practice squad, and of course they get elevations for certain players, despite Isaiah Simmons coming in, and Micah McFadden doing better in camp, do you think Beavers still has a future as a role player with the New York Giants in the future? Absolutely, I do. I don't know how much he'll play this year, whether it'll only be practice squad activations or whether he at some point will come up to the 53. You know, I don't have a crystal ball on that. But what I do know is that this organization is very, very fond of him. They drafted him for a reason. They like him a lot. During the offseason, he was the favorite to win the inside linebacker job next to Bobby Okereke, who was signed as a high-priced free agent off of the Colts. And as they have paced him back 
what they found out was that, to be honest, McFadden just took a whole leap in his game. And then in addition to McFadden making this great jump, they were able to get Isaiah Simmons, who added to the linebacking core. And so all of a sudden it's like, well, we got a number situation now. I think the Giants probably feel very, 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 very fortunate that Beavers was able to clear and that they're able to bide their time and continue nursing him back to health on the practice squad. I do think he'll see regular season snaps this year. And I think that during the offseason, he will definitely be in the mix for a 53-man roster spot next season. Remember, he's also he's also a good a good uh, a um, a useful tool on special teams, and that's right. something we haven't talked about. But it's a pet peeve of mine. Right, special teams the the always I would say forgotten when it comes to of course uh, players making the roster. I mean Carter Coughlin he cemented his role in Cam Brown as well. Um, but moving a little bit into the cornerback situation, this guy was one of my favorite players coming out. He hasn't been able to stay on the field. He was projected last year as the uh, starting outside corner. Joe Shane and Brian Dable said this guy was making progress. He's the other Robinson in the group, and that's Aaron Robinson. Big uh, fan. Big fan, exactly. So you and me alike. But uh, he could play slot a little bit outside. Of course, he fits the system. No slot. Um, no slot. Don't do that. No slot. He's not, a, he's not a slot. He is not a slot. Aaron Robinson has all the tools to be a boundary corner. He did not fare well in the slot when they forced him in there because they had so many injuries. They didn't know what else to do, so they just threw him in there, and he was like a fish out of water. Yeah, that's not what he is. He is a boundary corner, just like Cornell Flott is a boundary corner. He was not meant to be in the slot. This is the reason that they kept Darnay Holmes, because even though they're moving Adoree Jackson now into the slot when they go to the three-corner set, the reason that Darnay Holmes is here, he took a pay cut, because his, his production was inconsistent and not worthy of the contract number that he was carrying into the season. But they also said, look, we want to keep you because right now he is the number two slot guy on this team. But they needed they needed him to take a pay cut, and he was willing to do so. Now, that, that tells you all you need to know about Flott and Aaron Robinson. Neither one of those guys, and of course Robinson's still on PUP right now, but neither one of those guys are viewed as slot guys. Otherwise, they wouldn't have 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 gone to the uh, the degree that they did to get Holmes to take the pay cut. Yeah, that's a true point. I mean, they started fading out Flot uh, a little bit last year, and of course this year as well, because that was the perceived uh, roster battle there. Um, obviously, you. Uh, my next question was about Donnie Holmes, and you terrifically answered it. But uh, as far as Aaron Robinson goes, do, and I know he was drafted from a different regime, but he does fit the system. Um, I don't know how he's doing right now in his rehab process. Obviously, he got hurt last year with the knee injury in week four against the Bears. Is there going to be – and I think, at least to my knowledge, he's a decent special teamer. Again, not too sure about that. Um, is Could there still be a role for him this year? That's a good question because he had a very, very serious knee injury. This wasn't just like one injury to the knee. He had multiple things done to that knee. So the setback was was extreme. Now, earlier in the offseason, I was really kind of hoping he'd be able to make it back because I thought he could compete out there. But um, as the spring and summer went on, it was obvious he was not going to be ready by opening day. And as it stands now, that's why he's on pop. 
because they could take all the time in the world with him. They, they, there's no reason to rush him back in any way, shape, or form. In fact, if he winds up redshirting this year and doesn't play a single snap, that's okay. Because this guy, if he can physically get back to being himself again, there's no question about his toolbox, his skill set, and his talent to be able to play quality snaps in the National Football League. And the Giants would love to be able to say that they've got him going forward to battle for reps in that secondary. Uh, that, to me right now, is, is the bigger picture with, with Aaron Robinson. It's not about, let's see what we could do to milk some snaps out of him this year. No, it, it's about big picture. Can Aaron Robinson get back to full health so that he has a future on this team because they know he's got ability. Right, and moving to the closing And, and by here. the way, if I may say, okay. sure. Flott's healthy. I know he's a little dinged right now, but he's healthy. And they've also got Nick McLeod, who missed the whole preseason with injury, but was, was cleared this past week and has been practicing. So you've got some options there. If you need to throw somebody out there on the boundary, you don't have to rush Aaron, Ro Aaron Robinson back. There's no reason to. And they even have uh, Oyuarie is on the practice squad. You know what I mean? So I think you're better off putting Aaron Robinson out of your mind because they can be as patient with him as the trainers want them to be. Absolutely. And um, I know obviously you talked about the, the slot corner thing. But uh, one of the positives I've been looking at with the Giants cornerback situation is how this defense can go is because, um, you know, Dory could follow C.D. Lamb in the slot, for instance, what comes Sunday. And, you know, if, for instance, they want to take Hawkins out, you could put Flott there because he's strategically better on the outside. Nick McLeod played solid, as you mentioned. So, yeah, th I mean, that's one of the things uh, that I'm really excited about with this cornerback room. But. A little bit more to a philosophical standpoint, and uh, it was also a very uh, philosophical standpoint, of course, for Joe Shane. There's one of the things he said post-Eagles uh, game and really in the offseason that he's wanted to close the talent gap with the Cowboys, with the Eagles in terms of the NFC. And the NFC is a weaker conference. We know that. But uh, one of the questions from our listeners says – have, do you think that the Giants have built a foundation or are starting to build the foundation to be a top NFC threat? And if not, how do they get there still? There's no question the Giants are on the way up. They're one the Giants in the NFC, the Jaguars probably in the AFC. Um, if you want to throw in a couple other teams that are also on that upward upward um, um, direction, if you will. I think the Detroit Lions are showing that they've got they've got something in their tank coming up. The Miami Dolphins have certainly shown that they're certainly on the way up. Uh, these are teams that have tried to build it the right way. They didn't do, you know, the kind of, let's see what we could do to be all in and, and make trades and buy and do this and that. You know, a few years ago, the Rams decided to basically mortgage their future and go for a one-year run to the Super Bowl, and it worked, okay? That doesn't work very often, but it worked for them, and now they're going to suffer for several years, okay? Um, 
these other teams that I'm mentioning now that are on the upward uh, um, upward mobility, if you will, these are teams that have tried to build it the right way so that they have a two, three, four, five-year window perhaps to actually be a contending team. That's what the Bills did for the most part. And that's one of the reasons why Joe Shane and, and Brian Dable have proven to be the right guys for the Giants because they took a lot of the Bills' ways and have, have risen the Giants from the ashes just like the Bills rose from the ashes. So, yes, has the talent gap narrowed between the Giants and the Eagles? Yes, it has. Is it closed? No, it is not. Is the, is the Giants roster as good or better than the Dallas Cowboys? I believe it is. The 53-man roster as it stands right now, and certainly the coaching staff, yeah, I think the Giants are a little bit better than the Dallas Cowboys. I believe that. I think they are the second-best team in the division. But, again, you got to prove it on the field. Exactly. And then uh, one final question from another listener. Will we see, and I think this may be more of an obvious question, but I guess they want to find out, of course, is will Daniel Jones be throwing the ball a lot more deep this year compared to last year because not only the upgrades in the wide receiver core and now you got two guys that can go deep and Jalen Hyatt and obviously Darius Slayton coming back, but also some of the improvements uh, on the offensive line with JMS coming in and hopefully Evan Neal turning it around. Well, in theory, if Evan Neal can can get his his act together after a rough rookie season that also featured a lot of injuries, if he's healthy now. If he can give them a solid second season, I think the rest of the line is going to be good enough to give Daniel Jones the time and the protection that he needs to try to target these guys downfield. We now know that because of the upgrades at wide receiver, and don't forget Paris Campbell, who's also pretty darn fast as well. Because of the upgrades in the wide receiver room, as well as the acquisition of Darren Waller, Jones now has legitimate weapons who can get downfield, who can pose a legitimate threat if he wants to throw the ball down there. Or should I better say, if he has the time to throw the ball down there. That opens up another huge chapter, chapter in the playbook that this coaching staff, Kafka and Dable, did not really have at their disposal last year. There were still some concerns about a developing line. There were still concerns about a wide receiver room that was devastated by injury. There was concern about a rookie tight end at Daniel Bellinger, who himself sustained a nasty injury and, and, and was not really, you know, the kind of deep threat that can throw a scare into the defense. There are numerous reasons why the Giants did not have an explosive deep passing game last year. And none of them have to do with Daniel Jones's talent or ability. Well, they fixed all those things. At least it appears that way. They got the tight end who can go deep. You know, Waller averaged like 14 yards a catch last year, which was his career high. So don't, don't be surprised if he makes some big catches downfield. We know what they've added to the receiver's room, okay? And we believe that the offensive line is going to be better. Well then there's no reason for them not to take some deep shots. We know that Daniel could do it. A couple of years ago when they actually did take some, he was the best at it in the league. 
So, and that's statistically proven. I believe that the numbers came out that passes over 20 yards downfield. Daniel Jones had all the high marks of every quarterback in the league. So there is no doubt in my mind about that. And now, in addition to that, we keep forgetting. We haven't mentioned Saquon Barkley once during this entire interview. Saquon Barkley's coming off a career season. And I think there's no reason to believe that he won't repeat what he did last year. So now when you put that all together, this is all of a sudden a very dynamic Giants offense. And when you consider all of the other talent that was added to the defensive side of the ball, and, and remember, what was the weakness on their defense last year? It was terrible against the run. Well, they added two defensive tackles in Robinson, uh, Ashawn Robinson and Nacho who are both quality players. They added Bobby O'Kerrike at middle linebacker. So those are three bodies right there who will significantly enhance their rush defense. And the idea behind adding those defensive tackles is that if you give Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence fewer snaps on the field, they will have more gas in their tanks and they will perform at a higher rate of efficiency when they are on the field. I, I can't say enough about how the Giants have improved in so many ways. They are the most improved team in the division by far. I don't think there's any question about that. So what you have to now see through performances on the field is how close have they gotten to Philadelphia. They're closer, but how close? Exactly. And that point about the offense is if everything proves to be what we expect it to be, or at least maybe 75% of that is, there's always going to be a guy open, hopefully. If you get Jalen Hyatt deep or Darren Waller, those two are a threat alone. You could have Paris Campbell doing something in the middle of the field, or you could have Saquon Barkley come out of the backfield. And even if you're just not even talking about the passing game, but – Saquon's going to get fewer carries, and a lot of uh, giant content creators come out with statistics and stuff like that. Saquon, Saquon, I think, statistically was the most efficient in the later weeks because they used him less, and they put the ball in Daniel Jones' hands more, and he was throwing it to Hodgins. He was throwing it to Richard James. So that's what excites me more. And I think – I'm not to say that the the running game of the part – the running game part of the NFL is kind of you know going off. No. I mean, I know the running back position has taken a value hit, but – the, the league is kind of positioning itself in most ways towards a passing league, but it's also good to have Saquon in the backfield efficient and ready for more carries and the depth behind him as well. So I, I think it's just a lot of reasons to be excited. You know, I, I caution people who continue to try to call running backs dinosaurs. If running backs were not so important, then why did the 49ers make a huge trade and investment to, for Christian McCaffrey? Why did the Jets make a big investment in Dalvin Cook. They think they're Super Bowl contenders, but they know they needed a star running back to potentially help put them over the top. I mean, I'm sorry. I, 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 I think if you go back and look at the last couple of years, the teams that made the postseason, most of them, overwhelmingly majority of them, had a legitimate rushing attack. People get carried away with this Xbox passing game football. Um, 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You still need to be able to run the ball. And at the very least, if you don't have a balance between your pass and your run, you need to have a strong enough running game that allows you to run it when you want to. That's what the Giants did in 2011. They had the worst rushing attack in football. But down the stretch, the last month or so, and then into the playoffs, even though their running game did not pick up significant numbers, they were good enough that they could run it when they needed to and when they wanted to. And that's the whole key to keeping a defense honest or keeping your defense off the field when you've got to give them a rest and you need to control the tempo of the game. You need to be able to run the ball when you want to run the ball. You don't have to run for 140 yards every week. You don't. But when you want to run it, you better be able to do it. Exactly. All fair points. And uh, going back to you were talking about like legitimate playoff runs with different running backs. I mean, just look at how many running backs masked their QB problems. Uh, Ryan Tannehill and then you got Derrick Henry, who's mm -hmm. the last few years. It's countless other names. So, as I said, the running back position still, and I know a lot of people in the NFL devalues it a little bit, whatever the case may be, but I still believe the running back position is of value in this league. Well, look at the red zone with the Giants last year. Offensively in the red zone, they were terrific. Well, why exactly. do you think that happened? It's because Saquon Barkley became Superman again. He broke out and became the real dynamic threat that we all knew he can be, that superstar running back. That was a tremendous advantage for the Giants in the red zone, and that's one of the basic reasons why they were able to punch it in as often as they were. Daniel Jones had his best year ever in the red zone. That was a correlation to Barkley being Barkley. Exactly. Huge help, but... Uh, with that being said, we're going to start closing it out here. Paul, any final thoughts? It was great to have you on once again. The season is just a few days away, a few long days away, because it's, it always ends up like this. Yeah, you know, I, I just think that uh, what people need to keep in mind is that as they watch this team week in and week out, especially during the early part of the schedule, it's a tough one. All right? it's a tough, It's a tough schedule. We all know that and especially with a chunk of road games in the first half of the season. Not to mention, they're going to be out on a West Coast trip where they play Arizona and San Francisco, you know, twice between Sunday night and then Thursday night. Uh, so there are going to be hand grenades in the road. There are going to be obstacles in the road. You know, the bridge, the bridge is going to be rocky uh, during the early part of the season. But don't be panicked by that. Let's just say they go three and three through the first six games. Folks, as long as they're they're relatively injury free, if there's if they're three and three after six games, they're in great position. That's not a problem. Don't be concerned about it. Because this team, as they continue to gel and mesh, and as they continue to have a an easier part of the schedule as they get into the middle and then the final third. Uh, they'll they'll pick up ground and they'll pick up steam. So don't freak out if they're only three and three after the first six. Definitely. It's the first 10 games. I think the Giants are seven games on the road or something like that. And then uh, they have the three-game stretch in the middle where it's Las Vegas in no specific order. Las Vegas, Dallas, Dallas and Washington. Washington. 
Yeah. And then they and then I think they come back home against against New England or something like that. But yeah, um, yeah, Washington's not really a bad trip. And even even right but earlier in the year, they've got Miami and Buffalo back to back. That's not a terrible trip. But again, Dallas, Arizona, San Fran, Seattle, Miami, Buffalo. Those are your first six games. If they're three and three at that point, there's there's nothing to panic about. They they could still very easily be a ten win team. Exactly, and I think one of the most important parts is not just the schedule, not just the teams they play, but how they fare. If they are in those games, and I know obviously people will say, you know, um, you know, what it's a moral victory, something like that. But if they're at least competitive or in the game against Buffalo, in the game against Miami, it's not going to be a concern of mine at least. And I know obviously there's the brighter second half of the schedule where they play the Packers and a couple other different teams. The Rams. Um, the Rams is another <laughs> one uh, close to New Year's which is going to be an interesting team. But uh, once again, to close out, I always thank uh, Mr. Paul Dottino for coming on. This is the fourth year we've been doing this. Um, it's always fun to have a discussion like this. If you guys haven't already, please go check out the Giants YouTube channel. He always does the uh, the Big Blue Kickoff show with Lance Meadow, John Schmelk, and some of the other guys that go on there. Giants WFA on, tw- uh, Giants WFA on Twitter. Uh, but as for this podcast, like, comment, subscribe to all the good stuff. Turn on post notifications so you know when live stream pops for you drops. Also, uh, go out and f- give us a five-star Apple Podcast review. And if you need uh, discount codes for concert tickets, uh, MetLife parking passes, game tickets, stuff like that, use the promo code Big Blue in the Bronx for $20 off on your tight order for SeatGeek. So appreciate you guys. And we will see you on Saturday with the Cowboys preview.